Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today we'll be talking about Palm Springs. Now, just a word of warning. If you haven't seen the movie, stop listening to this podcast. We will be going deep into spoilers. We're going to be talking about the premise of the film. And this is a film that you want to go in as cold as possible because the way it reveals itself is one of the joys of watching it. And while I do think it's a film that uh, improves on repeat viewings, I think that if you go in cold, you're going to have a better experience. So so don't listen to this episode until you've seen Palm Springs, which is now on Hulu. And it is totally worth like a Hulu trial or or a month long subscription just to to watch it. Uh, it's it's a great film. So with that spoiler warning out of the out of the way, we'll be talking about Palm Springs. We'll be talking about time loop movies. We'll be talking about uh, sort of the the great structure of this film and and why it's such a a great addition to this little weird subgenre and and all sorts of things because we saw this film at Sundance and we thought it was the best thing we saw there. (laughs) It was fantastic. And we've sort of just been waiting now for like seven months to like tell like for other people to be able to see this movie. And and thankfully it's gotten a great response. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I loved it. Um, And it was weird at Sundance too, because, and I think part of, so if you've seen the trailer, you know that it reveals that it's a time loop movie. But when we were at Sundance, they were doing interviews. And I think they I think Collider talked to uh, the cast and writer and director, but they would not tell anyone what the plot was. They were saying the plot is a spoiler. Um, so we had no idea what to expect. Uh, so when when Andy gets hit with that arrow and everyone starts like he's screaming and she's screaming. Everyone in the theater was laughing so hard because it was just a, it just came out of nowhere. You had no idea what this movie was. And then you, you know, you find out it's a time loop. Um, And that was just such a special experience. That's kind of why I've been directing people not to watch the trailer because it's so much fun to like, you know, something's a little weird when he's at the, at the reception and he's dancing and he can do everything. Uh, He can anticipate everything that's going to happen. Um, but it's a special joy to like sit there and like, what is this? What is this movie? And then you wake up and it's the same day again. Yeah, it's it, it first is just like, oh, Andy Samberg's playing this over overly confident guy. All right. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, no, he's confident because he's lived this day countless times. But I think sort of the fun twist of this film is that like the, the idea of sort of the Groundhog Day effect, this time loop, is you know, and Groundhog Day sort of being the the progenitor of all these time loop movies is the idea that existence is meaningless until you choose to enforce meaning on it. But what I think Palm Springs really adds to the equation is that existence is meaningless on your own. Like you can't just simply solve it. Uh, on your own, you need other people. Other people are going to ma- make life worth living. And that might seem a little facile and, and cloying, but I think the film makes it work because it it explains that there's no way that, that trying to find meaning in existence all by your lonesome is 
uh, it will ultimately lead to nihilism. Um, and the notion that nothing matters because there's no one to share it with. If you're all alone, then of course there's no meaning. And it's only until you find another person that you can even begin to have that kind of existence where things mean more than if you're just on your own. Yeah, I like that the movie kind of takes to task that whole like, LOL, nothing matters attitude to life, um, which is just kind of exhausting. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't betray that really. Like, I don't know the, the film I, I find is very fascinating because it's able to balance these ideas simultaneously and that it is a romantic comedy and you do root for um, these two central characters to be together, but you're also rooting for their individual arcs. You're rooting for them to find some uh, peace. Like they have to come to peace with themselves uh, a bit um, along their journey throughout this film. And that's something it's something that's really hard to pull off that you care about both things uh, like in the same way or, or the same amount. Um, Cause normally, you know, you're maybe a little bit more invested in the romantic arc and the personal arc seem a little uh, just kind of like they've just been thrown together at just like to have something. So I felt, I don't know. I felt like they were very clear. These are very clearly drawn characters and they're both messed up. They're both fallible, but they're both, uh, endearing and charming in their own ways. They're both funny. Um, and obviously that's unique for the female character because so often in these kinds of films, it's, you know, the guy is the lovable goofball and the girl is the nag who's come here to tell him he's got to get his life together. And in getting his life together, he gets the girl. Um, but in this one, they both have to get their lives together. They both have to figure out what it is that they need to move on um, and to be a better person. And I, I like that the film has fun with tropes. Like, it, this is a film that knows that you've seen Groundhog Day. It knows that you've seen other time loop movies. So, you know, obviously one of Sarah's first things that she does is she realizes, oh, I have to do a selfless thing and then I'll be out. Um, and she does it and it doesn't work. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I think, again, and it's not that the film is saying, oh, selfless actions are meaningless, but rather, first off, it wasn't a selfless action. It was to get her <laughs> it was to get herself out of there. So it wasn't a selfless action. Yeah. But more than that, like it's a matter of if you're just again, it comes back to if you're just living for yourself and your own ends, that's not really living. And yeah. so when we see Niles, uh, Andy Samberg's character, he's sort of living as if there's no past and no future. He's only living in the present, only living for now. And it's kind of exhausted him. Like he doesn't really, like he's not, wh one of the notable things is it's not like he's like enriching his mind or he's like, <laughs> I'm going to use this to like read every book or, or anything like that. He's just like, yeah, I'm going to get drunk on a pizza float every day and that's <laughs> going to be my life. And then I'll occasionally have sex. Yeah. And, but Sarah is very much haunted by the past. Every day she's confronted with this terrible thing that she did. That's the thing. That's what she wakes up to is the fact that she's slept with her sister's fiance. And she can't like there's. And so for her at first being with Niles is a way to kind of, you know, escape that to, to try to live in the present, to ignore the past. But eventually she realizes like you have to move on. And the only way to move on is through a level of growth and understanding to really get to, to have a future. Otherwise, again, like the thing is, is that yes, you can have an LOL, nothing matters existence, but it's not much of an existence. Like it's not that it's impossible or that nothing matters, but 
it is contingent on you and the relationships you form with other people. So this notion of uh, because I cannot affect outcomes and even Niles realizes this, like Niles is like what we do to other people matters. Like he yeah. says that, like he can't, it's not just a matter of total nihilism in his philosophy. And so I, I think the film by really leaning into its time loop structure, asks interesting questions about what gives our actions meaning um, and how do we grow as individuals? And I think that that's really some some thematically deep ground for what's ostensibly an R-rated rom-com. Yeah, and I like how in that montage of them uh, kind of goofing around, uh, like when they steal the plane, <laughs> just drink and, and fly a plane and crash it. Uh, every morning when they wake up, they have a smile on their face. And so, like, it's this idea that you're not necessarily waking up for yourself every day. You're waking up for other people like it. And that gives your life a bit more of uh, a purpose or a meeting. Like, cause we see Niles in the beginning, waking up every day in that same hotel room and he knows what he's going to face, but he has made no attempt to connect with any of these people. It doesn't seem like, um, you know, obviously Roy is chasing him and he knows people's names, but it doesn't appear as though, uh, I don't know. He's done any kind of work to really get to know anyone at that wedding. No, everyone's sort of a, a sort of an archetype to him, sort of just a stock yeah. figure. Like it's cuz if if they don't remember him, what work what good is it getting to know them or investing in their lives or, or caring about them? I mean, the thing about to go back to Groundhog Day is that by the end of Groundhog Day, Bill Murray has just kind of accept has come to sort of a almost zen acceptance. That's like, "Oh, I'm just trapped here every day, so I'm going to try to make the most out of this that I can." And it's only when he stops trying to get out, stops being only for himself and leans into kindness that the loop breaks. Like well, he and, has to grow. Yeah. And, it, and what's special in that film is that he and it happens in this film as well, is that so in Groundhog Day specifically, he knows the day is going to reset. But that doesn't mean that the kid who falls out of the tree still doesn't feel pain. Or that the homeless person is going to die that night. And so he goes out of his way to catch the kid to make sure that that homeless man's final day is, you know, as enriching and and uh, warm as possible. Uh, and those are things he doesn't necessarily have to do, because, again, the day is going to reset. Um, and I think it's that that humanity is really what makes the best time loop stories um the best ones uh, with the, I think edge of tomorrow would be an exception, but it's just because it's just like a purely fun uh, and the sci-fi aspect of it is, is tons of fun as well, but you do yeah. care about those two characters. You do care about them. But I think edge of tomorrow is sort of like the best video game movie, yeah. even though it's not based <laughs> on a video game. It is a video game movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause he's trying to advance uh, along. You're, you're going through the levels to get to the boss. Exactly. And you have to keep dying and or it's, it's basically <laughs> if we made super meat boy, a movie, it would be, <laughs> Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I don't know. Palm Springs, they just find uh, it was surprising in its depth of humanity. It was surprising in how funny it was. It was surprising how sweet it was. It's just so many things. It's so good at being so many things. Yeah. And again, it's sort of it's it's not the film you really expect. Even once you're like, oh, it's a time loop film and it's a rom com. It still sort of it reveals that it has layers and new depths that it actually is a film about something rather than yeah. just some uh, escapist fare. And I think it's, you know, 
obviously you know, we're, we're, we're looking, we look at movies now through like the COVID lens of like, <laughs> you know, Hey, we're all trapped in our house. Like what is like we, and of course that makes sense. Like you look at art through the way that you're currently experiencing the world. Like they exist in conversation with each other. And while this film wasn't made during COVID and they didn't expect to release it. In fact, this film was like, you know, they, they spent the most ever for a Sundance acquisition by 69 cents. Yeah. Nice. Um, <laughs> they, they spent that, you know, to have, they were going to release it on Hulu, but they were also going to release it in theaters through neon. And that kind of just went out the window. And yet you have this film about living the same day over and over again and days blending together. And like, that's where we are now. And it kind of does feel like existence is a little meaningless, when you're trapped inside all the time and you're stuck doing the same things and you can't change anything. It's like you, you feel powerless to change anything. And I think, and you don't uh, know when it's going to end. And you don't know when it's going to, yeah. And you don't know, like there's like no way out. There's no way, there's no simple fix. Um, at, at some point you kind of have to, I think the film's message resonates even more that like what you need to invest in, in other people is in other people. Like you have to like care about other people and, and make that they're what they're going to give your life meaning because right now you're not making that trip to Paris. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, you know, <laughs> no, so. not happening. You can still go to Disney world though. If you, want. you can go to Disney world, you shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't go to Disney world, but you can. <laughs> So yeah, I just I feel the film is also unintentionally timely in a way that yeah. I think I think we would have enjoyed it very much had it been released in normal times. I think it still would have been a successful film, but I think it resonates in such a way that I I feel fairly confident, especially after rewatching it and seeing how well it holds up on a repeat viewing. I feel fairly confident saying like Palm Springs is going to be in my top ten of the year. Like I oh, just yeah. feel like it's it is one of the best movies of the year. And not just because there will be no more movies for the rest. Yeah, of the year. also yeah. There's, to be fair, there's not a lot of competition out there. <laughs> Tenant isn't opening on on August twelfth, folks. No, uh, it is interesting though because I mean it it is a film that I mean you and I both saw it with an audience in a theater and it plays tremendously well with an audience. Yes, uh, and I would have liked to have seen it go out into the world that way, although. When I interviewed the Lonely Island for an episode of Collider Connected, uh, which you can watch now on Collider's YouTube channel, um, an extended conversation about their career, they were pretty candid about the fact that, like, you know, Hot Rod and Popstar are now kind of like beloved films and, and cult films. Same with McGruber. But it doesn't mean that they they still felt heartbreak with those. I asked specifically, like, would they ever revisit uh, Connor for real in like a Popstar sequel? And Yorma Ticone said uh, something to the effect of, you know, um, the heartbreak is still kind of raw with that kind of stuff that they put so much of themselves into and to see it go into the world and like it just doesn't do anything is still kind of rough um, to kind of go back to. So it, I, I am kind of hard to see the pressure kind of taken off a bit of Palm Springs. Now it's available to stream on Hulu, uh, you know, whenever. So it's the film isn't labeled a failure or success based on box office. Um, yeah. It's just kind of there. I'm sure they're like discovery. privately getting the metrics. Yeah. But like, even though they're not available to us, um, I, I'll be interested to sort of like, you know, down the line an interview with them. Like, did they tell you how Palm Springs did for yeah. Hulu? Yeah. And if they and if it comes back, they're like, yeah, it's one of the most successful films that's ever been on Hulu. Like that wouldn't surprise me because like all this weekend, people were like lighting up my feet, my Twitter feed being like, oh, my God, Palm Springs is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I'm I'm really happy. I don't know. I'm honestly kind of 
glad that it's on Hulu because comedy it's so hard for comedies to hit at the box office nowadays. Well, um, yeah, exactly. I mean, imagine like if this had come out, like I don't think they would have scheduled it for July 10th necessarily had the editors been open, but imagine that they had and like this was normal times and then like next week is Tenant. You know, Tenant was originally supposed to come out on July 17th. Yeah. And then what happens to Palm Springs? Palm Springs like what just disappears in a week or something. Yeah. Or even like if they had released it back in February, I can't remember. I feel like there was some comedy earlier this year that just didn't do well. Um, but I can't remember specifically. Well, the, the, there there you go. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, we're uh, speaking of COVID, we're we're adjusting to. I mean, it's a new normal in, in, in every facet of life, and I think that includes the film industry. And so what I don't foresee a near future where everything just snaps back to normal. Even when theaters start to reopen, there are going to be people that still want to stay home. Um, there are going to be new procedures in place that make it a, a strange experience. And, you know, the theatrical industry was already struggling and with box office receipts likely to stay pretty low for a while until people feel comfortable and safe getting back into theaters and filling them at hundred percent capacity. Um, feels like streaming's a solid bet. Like, I feel like we're going to see a lot more movies just going straight to streaming. Well, I also feel like it's a solid bet, but I also feel like, you know, I feel like especially once, like, as as COVID was, like, really on the rise and people were latching onto streaming, things that weren't very good were getting more acclaimed just by virtue of being the only game in town. Yeah. So, like, people were like, oh, my God, Tiger King's amazing. And, like, no, now no one's talking about Tiger King. Or, like, yeah. Extraction is amazing. It's like, Extraction isn't very good. But... <laughs> Like, I feel like that shouldn't negate when there is a genuinely good film on streaming like Palm Springs or or The Old Guard, which also opened last Friday or yeah. hit Netflix last Friday. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what happens when uh, there is more content on streaming. But, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, when theaters do reopen, it doesn't feel like theaters theater, or studios were already a little scared to take that bet on a comedy anyway because comedies were so hit or miss now it's just going to be like listen the you know the the odds of a movie doing like earning back its money at the box office are low all across the board it's probably going to be more blockbusters it's probably going to be more more fair like that i feel like to an extent, I feel the pendulum will swing that way. And then someone's going to be like, no, no, we should really, this is a really good comedy with like broad appeal and it has yeah. the right stars. And then they release that in theaters and it does amazing because there is that communal experience of seeing a comedy with a crowd. Yeah. As we were saying with Palm Springs, like when you're seeing a movie and everyone's laughing together, like it's just, it's more enriching than like watching it in the privacy of your own home. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. So. I'm not saying like a comedy can't work that way, but I do also feel like comedy is like horror in that way where it's just, we're all sharing the same emotion, whether it's, it's terror or laughter. And I I think that has value that I don't think will be, it might be abandoned in the short term, but I, I I struggle to sort of see a future where it's like, and no comedy was ever released in a theater ever again. Yeah. God, I hope not. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I'm being too much of an optimist. (laughs) I don't think so. You were the one of the first people to say, like, oh, the summer movie season is not happening. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I guess we'll see. But no, you're right. There is no summer movie season. This is like Yay! in March. <laughs> Boy, I love being right. <laughs> uh, 
But we have summer movies at home. I mean, I, I don't know. Palm Springs was really I'm glad it came out like it, it. This movie brings me so much joy, kind of in the way that Eurovision does. But I think Palm Springs is a better made film um, and also more poignant. Like it it is tackling some kind of tough existential crises that people go through um, in a pretty frank way that I think is really interesting. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's a great film and it's one that like I think it also rewards repeat viewings like I yeah. on this most recent viewing. Like you can pick up on like everything in that first 12 minutes te- is is pay is per- makes a lot of sense yeah. once you know the twist. So like yeah. right from Sarah waking up, it's like, oh, she's sleeping with, you know, mm-hmm. but like that's a reveal or what she that selfless act when she t- tells her like you don't know that yet on the first viewing that she's telling her sister, I slept with your fiance and like her sister is stunned by that. Um, yeah. And even at the reception, when uh, Niles is chatting up Sarah and June Swibbs character comes up and says, I've been to a lot of weddings. And he said, you'd be surprised. Or like she says, like, I've been to more weddings than you, young man. And he says, you'd be surprised. Right. So, yeah, it's it's fun the way it sort of teases what it's about to, to reveal itself as. One thing that I found interesting when I spoke to the Lonely Island it was clear that they had a pretty strong hand in producing this. And and Andy said, you know, oh, one of the reasons he had a pretty strong hand in producing it, I think they said, quote, like boots on the ground producing level, um, as opposed to other stuff like I think you should leave or like pin 15, where it's very much um, uh, kind of lifting up a creator's voice or whatever. This one was a tough one to get right because of the nature of the time loop stuff. And it is a first feature for, you know, the screenplays by a guy named Andy Sierra and it's directed by Max Barbacow. Um, and I think even they said when they brought the script, it was like 70 percent there. But one thing that I found really interesting is that the, uh, Andy said the ending was something that was like heated debate and something they worked very hard to find. They had multiple test screenings. They shot different versions. They edited different versions um, in terms of like what you see happening in that pool afterwards. Um And he said what was important to them was delivering on three levels. They wanted to to deliver on the rom-com aspect of it, an ending that was satisfying there. They wanted to deliver on kind of the existential crisis and nihilism um, and not kind of betray that from the rest of the film. And then also deliver for people who are hardcore sci-fi nerds. They didn't want to kind of make nonsense out of how it's all fixed. And I was just really struck by how well the ending comes together, because even when I was watching it, I was like, time loop stories are really hard to end. So I don't know how they're going to come to a conclusion here. That's really satisfying. Um, but and, I love the ending. Yeah, no, the ending works great. I mean, the fact that you get a scene where he's racing uh, to, to get to Sarah and he comes across the guy at the shooting range and he's like 30 years ago, you had sex with <laughs> I'm your son. And it's like, it's such a great way. Of, of course he would play that card and just to move on. Yeah. Like it's, it's like, it doesn't forget the humor. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's super funny. And even when they, when Sarah, uh, Niles finally confronts Sarah, um, and she's like, you get one sentence. And so like his, the whole, like, it, again, it's turning on its head, the big speech at the end of the rom-com where, you know, it's in the rain and, you know, he finally gets the girl back. It ends up being sweet, but also kind of silly, but again, not betraying that kind of nihilism that brought the two characters together in the first place. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, uh, I think it works wonderfully and it's a film I'm, I'm happy. I will, I will look forward to revisiting. Uh, yeah, I do wish. 
Um, now, since it, it's on Hulu, I don't know if it'll ever get like a physical release, which is kind of a shame because I would very much like to see those alternate endings. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And he didn't go into specifics on like what they were or anything. And I know Kristen Milioti told uh, Collider's own Liz Miller interviewed her and she said that they shot a scene where she explained the physics of what she does at the end of the movie to break the loop. Um, and it got lifted out of the movie, but she had a whole speech where she explained all of it and everything. So, yeah, apparently it's scientifically sound. So if you're ever stuck in a time loop, unfortunately, that the, <laughs> the science <laughs> yeah. to get you out was was deemed not entertaining. enough. <laughs> yeah. Ah! Uh, all right. Anything else to say about Palm Springs or should we move on to recently watched? Huh? Move on to recently watched. All right. What have you uh, seen lately? Well, you know, I love me a, a good legal thriller. And uh, I had seen some people chattering about The Devil's Advocate on Twitter because it's now on Netflix. And it had been a long time since I'd seen it. Uh, so I decided to revisit that. And if you're thinking, Adam, is The Devil's Advocate a, a lawyer movie about, you know, some kind of bad lawyers who are doing bad things, but the title's just a play on words? The answer is no. It's literally about the devil who is a lawyer <laughs> played by Al Pacino. <laughs> and Keanu Reeves is his advocate. Um, Keanu Reeves plays a uh, very interesting accent choice of a Florida, Florida born lawyer, uh, who's brought to this big New York city firm, um, and poached to come and work for Al Pacino's character, uh, who is the devil. And I remember like this film was marketed as like Al Pacino is the devil. Like he is a lawyer and he's the devil, but in the movie, it doesn't reveal that he's the devil until like the latter half of the third act. Although there are, um, hints dropped along the way, but I think that makes the movie more enjoyable knowing he's the devil for sure. Um, cause there's kind of terrifying stuff that goes on. Um, and it was written by, I didn't know this Tony Gilroy co-wrote it, uh, with Jonathan Lemkin and Charlie Theron plays Keanu Reeves, wife, uh, who just like kind of goes nuts, uh, kind of goes crazy being tormented by the devil and, and his people. Uh, it opens pretty grossly because uh, Keanu Reeves character is a defense attorney and it opens with him uh, trying a case in Florida where he's defending a, a, a teacher accused of sexually assaulting one of his students. And the girl is like recounting it on the stand and Chris Bauer plays the teacher and he's like touching himself. Like it's very gross and it's made very clear that this guy is guilty. And then you watch Keanu Reeves twist it all around to get him off. Um, so immediately you do not give a shit about this protagonist because <laughs> immediately you're like, oh, he is a piece of shit. Um, but I don't know. It's still kind of fascinating. Taylor Hackford directed it, who, you know, directed Ray and a bunch of other films. Uh, I saw your eyes roll in the back. Sorry. Uh, Taylor Hackford always gets that look for me because Taylor Hackford's the guy who's like, I don't think the Academy should honor casting directors. What do they really do? And I'm like, <laughs> fuck you, Taylor. <laughs> That's fair. Um I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's not as like good as like the firm or like one of those really good John Grisham legal thrillers. Um, you know, it's weaving this supernatural aspect in. And as I said, the protagonist is a piece of shit and Al Pacino's the devil. So it's kind of hard to really like root for anybody to win because they're all scummy lawyers. Uh, and in that way, it's very much a 1990s movie because in the 90s, it was all about, you know, scummy lawyers and lawyer jokes. Um, that was, uh, you know, the big thing at the time. Um the finale is kind of nuts and 
I don't know. If you have two and a half hours and are at all curious uh, by anything I just said, give it a whirl. It's not uh, not the best legal thriller, but uh, not a terrible way to spend your Saturday, Sunday afternoon. Someone, uh, someone on Twitter mentioned, and I agree, that like our two greatest action stars right now are Keanu Reeves and Charlie Theron. Yeah. And it's crazy that the movie that they're together in is Devil's Advocate. <laughs> like, Aren't they also in like Sweet November, like a romantic is drama? It, is, is, are they both in Sweet November? I thought... Let me look it up. Are they yeah, they in, are. They yeah. Sweet, okay, so they're both in Sweet November. Again, not an action movie. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Yeah. It <laughs> so, is... Uh, Something I didn't mention that I did find interesting is that Al Pacino like screams an entire monologue in the third act of this movie. And I think it was you or someone in our Slack was talking about like when Pacino made the turn from like a quiet actor to like a scream. I, I, made, the, I made the point that there's like there comes a point in his filmography where he just starts screaming all the time. Yeah. And and it was Tom, I believe, who's like, oh, he started doing that because he got the Oscar for Son of a Woman with the whole like, and like yeah. all the screaming. But he kind of started doing that again, like all like before that in like Sea of Love with Michelle Pfeiffer. But yeah, like there really comes a point where like because I, I brought it up because I had just rewatched Heat, where a lot of that film is she got a greater <laughs> Pacino. Yeah, and this is just the devil screaming for ten minutes, uh, and this is ninety seven. So I was just like, can you take it down a notch? Yeah, like, no, one... no one ever tells Pacino take it down a notch. And I think honestly, like the reason like his performance in the Irishman is like one of his better performances is because like Scorsese can actually tell him, take it down a notch. Yeah. That like, performance is great. That performance is great. So that when he yells, you dumb motherfuckers, <laughs> it, it has an impact because he's not always at that level. Yeah. yeah. I like that line reading a lot. So yeah. Um, Devil's Advocate, man. <laughs> yeah, check it out on on Netflix. It's a very 1990s movie. It just yeah. like you know, from the score to you know, like just like the visual effects just started being good enough to start like blending it with humans. So yeah, it's um, interesting. For me, uh, I wa- my wife and I watched on HBO Max the three part docu series "Expecting Amy," uh, which is about Amy Schumer's pregnancy. And so I should probably preface this by saying, like, I'm an Amy Schumer fan. Part of the reason I'm a fan is because I it's like my interview with her. I interviewed her for I Feel Pretty. And it was like one of the best interviews I've ever done. And so and she was very nice to me. And I'm such an easy mark. Like if a celebrity (laughs) is like even remotely courteous to me, I'm like, they're the greatest. (laughs) So like I'm very easy to win over. I suck. <laughs> just just to lay that out there. So I, I guess you could say like I was biased um, on this, but I actually do think it's on the one hand, I think we should be conscious of when a celebrity makes a, their own documentary. Like I remember um, Miss Americana, like that came out earlier this year, which feels like a billion years ago. Yes, but like. It does. Miss Americana. And like some people were like, it just feels like Taylor Swift doing her own PR. But I also feel like in 2020, like we're all doing our own PR. That's social media. Like we yeah. all sort of are presenting our best face to ourselves. And so in the instance of like Miss Americana, Taylor Swift said, I wanted to present, I wanted to talk about like my weight and I wanted to talk about like the Kanye thing, but I wanted to talk and I want to talk about my politics, but I wanted to talk about it within the confines of this documentary. That's how I wanted to present it. And I think that's her right. And I think, you know, whether you like or dislike Taylor Swift based on that is whatever. But I think it's a fair way 
to say, I want to present this, my personal life in this way. Because I also don't believe that celebrities owe us anything or anything about their personal lives whatsoever. That is all to preface. So Expecting Amy is about Amy Schumer's pregnancy. And her and her husband, Chris, they filmed all of it. Like they filmed um, basically from her two days after learning that she's going to be pregnant. But there's also like a ton of footage from like their wedding and like their courtship and like how they got together. And it's like it feels very intimate. And what I liked about it the most is that obviously Amy Schumer is very funny and the documentary is chronicling both her pregnancy, but also she's working on the special growing, which is now on Netflix and sort of those two things running together. But what I really liked about it is that she doesn't really shy away from being like, this is hard. This is really like a warts and all pregnancy, especially because she suffers from uh, a condition called hyperemesis, which is basically where you have, you're vomiting throughout the entire pregnancy. There's not like a morning sickness period and then you get over it. It's all vomiting a lot. So if you ever want to see a lot of Amy Schumer vomiting, there's expecting Amy. And then, like the thing is, is like she'll show herself without makeup. Um, and I, 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 know, I don't want to make like build that into a big thing, but I, I think it's important because I think what her... What, what she's going for in this documentary is like, I'm trying to remove some of the polish from my, from the, the, what we expect pregnancy stories to be. We expect pregnancy stories to be glowing and very, uh, you know, everything is great. And isn't this the most wonderful thing in the world? And I think much like her comedy, she is about let's strip away that and get to sort of an honest truth here that may not be pleasant, but we can all sort of, appreciate the humanity behind it. And I think it's a it's a good docu-series. It's well put together. Again, it's only three episodes. And I think it's worth watching. And I especially liked the stuff about her her marriage and like the honesty of their relationship and how they connected. And I, I just think it's a it's it's really it, it grew on me like as I was watching it. And again, I am an easy mark here. I'm an Amy Schumer fan. If you don't like Amy Schumer, nothing in this documentary is gonna change your opinion. But I think if you're interested in her story, I think it's worth checking out. And something I want to see, because uh, I don't know, did you watch Amy Schumer Learns to Cook on the Food Network? No, I didn't. I so we watched that. that. Yeah. So I like, I guess during quarantine, because her husband is a chef, yes. uh, Food Network asked her and her husband to make a cooking show from quarantine. And so they're up in like upstate New York and they installed like four cameras in their kitchen and then their uh, nanny has a camera. But it's just like them cooking stuff and like giving each other shit and like it feels like a very realistic portrayal of just like couples cooking, which is that it's like it's fun and it's flirty and it's frustrating. And like all of those things happen at the same time while you're cooking. Uh, It's very entertaining and enjoyable. And she'll like call up Jennifer Lawrence and like wake her up to ask her a question about a cocktail. Um, It feels very real. And I I know what you're saying about like some people saying, oh, this isn't this just PR. But she strikes me as a very... um, honest person like she's just kind of being who she is it doesn't feel performative at all no Uh, exactly like i never once watching expecting amy like oh she's putting on a show for me i felt that she was like i mean she's i felt that she was being herself and i think and i and i appreciated that yeah and so amy schumer learns to cook is if you're if you're a fan of uh expecting amy i think you would like amy schumer learns to cook because it's much it's like they're like half hour episodes and they cook a meal each time and she gets her husband shit for trying to put fennel and everything. And like, it's just fun. Like it's just a, a good time. 
Well, and because yeah. she knows nothing about cooking, so she he's like kind of showing her how to do certain things. Yeah, and he's like, not to, I didn't want to shortchange him. He's like an acclaimed chef. Like he's yeah. not just a, some guy. He's like an acclaimed. Like he's like like the New York Times said his restaurant in Martha Martha's Vineyard was like the best restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> so like he's he knows what he's doing. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so um, we asked y'all. So we've been sort of the past few episodes, we've been sort of chasing new releases. Uh, and now they're really, it's not that there isn't anything coming out, but we just, we wanted to split back to, uh, Netflix movies for, for a second. And so we put out a poll in the field said, you know, what film do you want us to discuss on next week's episode? Everyone voted 39% uh, was the winning total. And it was for Starship Troopers. Uh, so I'm excited to talk about that one. Actually, I was kind of hoping it would be Starship Troopers <laughs> because I feel like that is very much a movie about now. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. I think is one of the sharpest satires, uh, and it will give us also give us an opportunity to talk about Paul Verhoeven movies, which I'm excited <laughs> about. So yeah. yeah, let's. Uh, it'll be Starship Troopers, which is currently on Netflix. So give that a watch and uh, swing by the the podcast next week. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's about it. So if you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face, and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.